I uh, I feel great shame that I don't have a a little Canadian flag to wave around like Kornheiser when we're talking about Rourke. Yeah, like that should be that should, that should be the the standard the status quo. I'm going on Amazon right now. Where how do I get two Canadian <laughs> flags to you? All right, intro. I'm just gonna leave this all in in the, in the intro. <laughs> Drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it, touchdown Tiger Town. Brandon Banks. How did he do it? It is the breakdown right here on Canadian Football Perspective. I am at TSN underscore Marsh, and I just tried to play my son to bed playing the ukulele. Here's the catch. Uh, I tried to play him some Lionel Richie, and it turns out Deep River Woman not doing the trick. Uh, He is (laughs) wide-ass awake upstairs as we welcome you in. That is at DT on SC. On the other side, Derek Taylor, of course, catch him on 620 CKRM, the voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, as we are one week away from the kickoff of the 2021 CFL season. You uh, you play your dogs to bed with any instruments there, DT? Mandolin, mostly. They nice. seem to like that. They gravitate to that. Can you give us a little Deep River Woman? Because that tune does not strike me. I don't Deep River Woman. Yeah, I may never sleep again. Okay, I see what your kid's all about. I get it. <laughs> coming home to you. Oh, yeah. Lionel Richie's my... That's my thing, man, right there. I would play it, but uh, then our YouTube video would get taken down. So, I'd, I, you know yeah. what? At least my singing's bad enough that I know the YouTube video won't get taken down because they're not going to be able to recognize that with all their bots. Take that, YouTube. Never shutting us down. Uh, of course, the podcast and my terrible singing is brought to you by our good friends at Fox 40. Blow whistles instead of singing. That's what I should be doing. Helping you return to play safely with their latest innovations. The Fox 40 Tri-Layer Whistle Mask and the Fox 40 Electronic Whistle for 15% off all your whistle needs. Visit fox40shop.com and enter the code CFP15. And of course, Sawdust City Beer. We heard uh, earlier this week they had some trouble with the promo code. It was down. Oh, it's back. It is so back, my friend. CFL is the promo code you want to be able to use to select their wide variety of beers. Get free shipping on your order over $100 available to Ontario residents. Only must be a legal drinking age. Cannot, <laughs> I was going to try to do the NFL. Cannot be you reused, redistributed, or re- without the written consent of SawdustCityBeer.com. Uh, but go to Sawdust City Beer and get yourself some uh, some CFL beers to be able to enjoy. Very lucky for me today. It was extremely fortunate. Oh, is DT digging into the, the box of goodies here? I know it's very tightly wrapped. Oh my God, they do. They care about quality at Sawdust City. I can't. Oh my God. Yeah. What is that? Canpar? Oh, is that Canpar Purolator? Yes, sir. Canpar. Yeah, sure as hell ain't UPS because I worked for them during the pandemic. And boy, let me tell you. Oh, I feel, I feel like that's a special Saturday podcast on Canadian football <laughs> perspective. I like that. Okay. There now we go. I- DT oh yeah, what do we got here? Cracked into the box. Jutson? Oh, that is a, a just a delicious New England style IPA. That if you'd like to hear about juice and more, you can go to our YouTube page and you can see the uh, tasting that I did with brewmaster and co-founder Sam Corbet of Sada City Beer. But I did have uh, a message from a couple people saying, "Hey, I'm going out to the cottage in uh, about a week, and I'd like to get this beer ordered asap, uh, so it's ready to go for when they head out." There's actually one person. This is great. Uh, who messaged me and said, I've ordered the beer, hoping that it's going to arrive on time. They said, we are out of here on Tuesday. They happen to live in Northern Ontario. And they said, we're going over towards the Manitoba-ish border. And they said, uh, I, <laughs> he has a son that he's going camping with that is about, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, something like that. And he said, I bought tickets to the Bombers Ticats Grey Cup rematch. And he thinks we're going camping, but we're actually going across the border into Winnipeg and I'm taking them to the Grey Cup rematch. I like that. Yeah, That's isn't that fantastic. great? Yeah. You'll get to I, see the, the the banner raising from the 19 Grey Cup. That'll yeah. be 
That's fantastic. I'm glad yeah. they're doing that to start the season. Aren't you? Like I, I know they could have waited. Um, and, and I know that there were a lot of people were saying, we'll do it with a completely full house and do it when everything's back to normal. And, but I actually like that. They're not getting it out of the way, but I, it just feels right with the renewal of the season and hosting that first game. And, like the celebration that that night is going to be, whether it's in the stadium or on CFL social media, or just like, hey, we're back. And hopefully the game is of a high quality as well. And we avoid, you know, nasty injuries and things like that. But I'm actually, I, I felt this weird sense of relief when I found out they were doing that on the opening night, because that just feels right. It would have felt really strange to be like, hey, week six and the Argos are in town. And here's our thing we did two years ago. It would have felt like it was buried at that point. Oh, and, and I, on the other hand, I like the thought that they're going to rub it in Hamilton's face. Yeah. Oh, hey, remember this that we won against you guys? Whoop, watch it go up to the top of IG Field. Oh, yeah, so, no, that is that is perfect all the way around. Here's a question, though. Do the Ticats have to be out there? Like, Because I don't know the timing on that. If it's a pregame oh. ceremony, I don't know how that's going to – I'm sure that it's all been timed out for television so they can show it live and whatnot. But I, I have a hard time imagining that Simone Lawrence – Jagarrod Davis, like that those dudes are just going to stand on the sideline and watch. And maybe they'll be like, you know, those uh, Olympians who don't make it onto the podium and they're standing there with their arms crossed and watching the medal ceremony because they wanted to fuel them and, and, and stoke the fires for the next four years of training or whatever. There's some sort of sports psychology to that. But, I mean, they could stand out there and just wear it and be fired up by it and come out going crazy. Hopefully not as crazy as they did in week one against Saskatchewan in 2019, when they were trying to rip people's heads off for the entire first drive on defense. Uh, Cause that was just uh, completely unnecessary, but, uh, but I mean, they could do that or they could just wait it out in the locker room, but they'll probably, they'll get killed on social media if they decide to wait it out in the locker room, won't they? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And I think Winnipeg has to plan it so that Hamilton can't do it. Like they run out of the tunnel, holding the <laughs> banner. One of the guys passes it off to somebody. National anthem. Hamilton standing along the sideline like gentlemen. And then, and then once the national anthem is over, before the coin flip, raise that flag. Yeah. Raise the flag with them on the field. You got to do. You beat them like a million points. Just absolutely. Little, I'm a terrible sport, as you can tell. But yeah, you rub it in their face and uh, then first, hope they don't murder you on the field. Yeah, that too. Uh, I mean, that was interesting. Braylon Addison saying that he wanted to be able to ruin it. And I'm like, well, man, that's a that's a tough defense. And you've experienced it most recently when you played. In the, I can't believe Braylon Addison is back. We'll get into that coming up in just a little bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, for some reason, I imagine because Willie Jefferson, I think of him as being just a monster from Space Jam, who's like 18 feet tall and has long, stretchy arms. I just imagine him being the one who unveils the Grey Cup championship banner, but because he's so big, it's just like Yosemite Sam in a cartoon where he shoots like a little pistol. And you know how usually it's like, bang, and it says it on like a little flag that comes out. I just imagine Willie doing something like that, where he like shoots a t-shirt cannon and out comes the flag and it's still not as long as him. I just feel like he's going to be the one that's going to have something to do with it. But actually an interesting press conference this week that I saw from Adam Big Hill as well, where he basically acknowledged in his presser when they said, you know, you re-signed here, very motivated, but you knew that you weren't getting paid the money that you should be based on the year that we're going into and the year we just came out of and the money that was available and the length of the season and, and, and. And he said, essentially, yeah, I'm going to come out here. I'm going to ball out. I'm going to do everything I need to. And I have faith that I will be rewarded for that work when we get to a normal season at the start of next year. So I know we haven't even started this year and we're looking ahead to another non-playing season and free agency of next year. But that, for some reason, that jumped out to me where I was like, damn, Adam Big Hill was so good in 2019. The idea of him motivated in a shorter season where he wants to earn in a contract, not that every year isn't a contract year in the CFL, but for him, it's, it's rare to have a CFL player talk about contract years because it's rare to have guys who have consistent play for such a long period of time to be in this league who know their next contract might be their last meaningful one. Yeah, that's why I was I was surprised. I, I, I admired it, but I was surprised why he took, you know, a six-figure pay cut. I mean, he turns 33 this season. Yeah. So he will turn 34 next season. And his rate of missed tackles went up in 2019. He's got obviously a million great things about it, about his game, but those do not last forever. So to give away to give back half your salary, benevolent, but 
the financial planner, I think his financial planner might have a different uh, <laughs> different recommendation for him. I hope it works out and I hope he crushes. Yeah. Uh, but I just, especially in the, the year of the Achilles, I, I just hope he gets through this season and is able to get to that point. He's taken the bet on himself and I, and I hope it pays off. It turns out the Achilles heel of 2021 has been the Achilles, Achilles heel. heel. Uh, oh I, I am very disappointed that we do not get Labor Day and Banjo Bowl of Larry Dean, Adam Big Hill, men in the middle. Like when I started thinking about that, that matchup a couple of days ago, I was just like, man, would have been so nice to have those guys. And another Tim Williams goes down this week with the Achilles for you guys out there, which I read a story about him coming out from Alabama and how he wanted to resurrect his career and a top end talent, the first round kind of guy in the NFL and comes up here. And it, this is what's honestly kind of pissing me off about the Achilles stuff, DT, is that obviously it's unfair. Like when you see a non-contact ACL injury, you're just like, what? Like I remember Andy Fantuz tearing his ACL when I was calling a Ticats game and right. he was waggling. Like something that Andy Fantuz has done a billion times in his life. He was jogging towards the line of scrimmage and it wasn't, you know, a waggle where he's setting up and he's going to run a crossing or a shallow cross or something like that, where he sticks his foot in the ground and he's trying to get away from a defender right at the line of scrimmage and the ball comes up and it was him waggling to the line of scrimmage to just run like five yards forward, essentially. And as soon as he went to pick up speed in his waggle, his knee just popped and it made absolutely no sense. And I remember that night just feeling this combination of disgust and sadness because I was thinking like, he doesn't deserve that. There's no reason for that. His body should not. Now, if it was, you know, a hamstring or, you know, something that was worn down over time from all of the years of running, maybe I can understand, but the AC, like ligaments do not wear down to the point where they just decide to pop one day. It's not like that, right? There's other parts of the body that do that, but ligaments ain't really that. So when I saw that, I was I was upset about it um, just because I think Andy is a, an interesting person, a good person for the CFL, and he was obviously a hometown hero kind of guy being from Chatham playing in Hamilton. And a lot of these guys right now that are going through the Achilles injuries, we don't know them. Like Larry is obviously the big name, and obviously there's been some others in different places that have kind of, depending on your level of fandom of the CFL, you might know them. But the idea that they are going through Achilles injuries and so often Achilles injuries is, you know, Kevin Durant in the NBA finals against the Raptors planting his foot to try and take off and, and make a move on somebody. And it just snaps. I have a friend yeah. who did his Achilles playing uh, house league football where he ended up, he was a wide receiver standing. And when he went to press to take off, to go run, same as KD, his leg just snapped and he just fell down. And it's, it's one of those where I don't understand why this injury is so prevalent in this training camp lead up to the season when the injury is random, like it, there should yeah. not be an explanation. There's no, I can't imagine a way that you could strengthen yourself against an Achilles tear. Well, and I mean, we have a lot of guys who haven't played football since 2019, right? But every year you have, you have guys coming up from the NFL who haven't played competitive football in quite a while because they've been caught on practice rosters or injured and, one of the Saskatchewan guys was Nelson Lacombo, their yeah. second overall draft pick, who had a workout with Washington in the NFL plan. So obviously he had been very intently training for that. So why and and, and why so many? I, I talked about it a few times and I looked it up again. It was a, a study done of NFL players from 09 to 16. And from the start of training camp, where you got all those bodies to the end of the season, they had between seven and 17 Achilles and we've had nine in a league with one quarter of the teams that all have smaller rosters. I, I can't even imagine what the, what the reason is. We're going to say the layoff, blah, blah, blah. Who, who knows? Cause could you, could you design if you wanted to, if you were an evil master, could you design an exercise that tears the Achilles? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't think you can. No. So, how do you know when it's going and, and why? And four different teams were the players. Yeah. And the thing that I keep coming back to is, like you say, we're going to blame the time off. And I saw, I don't know if it was Craig Dickinson or Dave Dickinson, but I saw the quote that just said, Dickinson, you know, quote, year off is the X factor in year of the injury. And when I saw that, 
I was thinking to myself, okay, I get why he's saying that because their bodies are not battle tested and they don't have scar tissue built up, whatever the reasoning might be. But like, listen, if the team doctors are saying, hey, it's this is what's happening and here's why, then power to them because the team doctors and physicians and trainers and all the rest, they know a billion times more than we do about the human body. With that being said, I had really, really good trainers when I played university football and I was interested in taking care of my body. So I was interested in talking to people of the way that you, 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 you protect yourself from injuries. And I was big into yoga and lengthening and stretching. And I've read the TB12 method about pliability and all of these things play into the idea of there are certain things that you can prevent against. And there are others that you really can't. And for example, hamstring strengthening, uh, you know, hip, uh, being able to have flexible hips is one where you can prevent a lot of injuries there. Having posterior mm-hmm. chain injuries where, you know, your feet are tight, therefore your calves get tight. Well, if your calves are really tight and you don't release them and stretch and keep them long, then you're going to get hamstring issues. Or you're going to get glute issues, turns into back tightness, turns into shoulder pain, turns into neck. It's like all of that stuff is connected. Coolest thing I ever learned, I think, in my whole time studying some of this stuff was there's a piece of connected tissue that wraps around. Think about this. From the front of your big toe, Okay, wraps from the front of your big toe, underneath your foot, through your calf, through your backside, up your back, through your spine, into your shoulders, wraps around and connects at the front of your forehead. And that's essentially a rubber band that we as humans have attached that runs from the front of our big toe, wraps around the back of our body and gets hooked onto the front of our forehead. Like those are things that you can release your posterior chain and prevent injuries. The Achilles, like you can release muscular stuff you can't release your Achilles tendon. Like, and I know there's ways to manipulate it and trainers will work on things, but you don't proactively release Achilles because you're in fear of them. Now, maybe that's going to change. Maybe they'll focus more on it because it's been so random, but to your point, TT, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And I don't, I don't think there's any explanation for it. I don't think we need to blame the year off because there's guys right now that there's such a wide variety of body types, playing backgrounds, uh, age, playing experience, uh, maybe training level intensity where you're working at at home in Canada by yourself in your garage, or were you working at a high performance center in the United States with 10 other guys in the NFL? It doesn't matter. Like none of this matters. It's just, and I really, really hope that it just goes away. Like, I hope that we're done with it. It's already been so bad. I don't want to see any more. Yeah. And, and for a lot of these guys, it's that, that this is going to be the end. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Larry Dean at 32, is he coming back post Achilles at 33? One of the one of the other studies that I was able to find just looking at football and Achilles was that they essentially looked at the value of players before and after the Achilles and linebackers were by far the hardest hit by Achilles injuries to the point where by their value calculation they used, they lost 82 percent of their value. You think, well, 18 percent remaining of Larry Dean. Yeah. Larry might have something better to do. And you just hope there was a rookie within the, there were were two rookies within the riders, one who was not a first round pick. And you go, does he never play pro football? Uh, Then, I mean, these were two days before camp. Charlie power was two weeks into camp with the stamps and and his goes it all. Mercy Mastin was a week and a half into camp with the bombers and his goes it. I, Someone smarter than me and someone with a kinesiology background will hopefully look into it one day and see if they can figure out something consistent and something we can, something actionable that teams can use. But right now it, it just looks, it's freaking me out. And uh, I, this, I don't know if you've done this Marsh, but I, I was on the treadmill yesterday and I thought, well, I haven't been on this in a couple of months. Yep. I'm going super slow. <laughs> I'm not blowing Achilles on the treadmill, but I'm just very conscious of everything right now because we're in such a freak time for these injuries. It's, it's, I don't know what's going on. The only media member I know to tear their uh, Achilles is Megan McPeak. Who's doing a fantastic job being the color commentator with Dan Shulman on, uh, on all things right now at the, uh, the Olympics talking about Canadian women's national, ah, Serbia. So angry. Serbia beat us 72, 60. I was pissed. I wanted to beat Serbia. And the reason I want them to beat Serbia is because the night before, there was a mom of two from Kitchener whose name escapes me right now. I apologize. Uh, but she was boxing against uh, someone from Serbia as well. And the Serbian just kicked the crap out of this mom from Kitchener. And I felt so bad for her. And I said, 
you know what? We can make up for it tomorrow. Our number four internationally ranked women's basketball program. Oh, damn. Look, we lost to Serbia in that as well. Uh, so it oh, is uh, it's the, the ups and the downs of the Olympics, but always fun to be able to watch. Let's dive into uh, some uh, rapid fire, if you will. We'll try to keep them as quick as possible because, you know, DT and I, we could ramble on forever about this stuff. But just some of the headlines of the week that we wanted to dance our way through here on uh, notable cuts, maybe landing spots, things of that nature for uh, players that we see. I thought about possibly doing uh, a, an episode here on the breakdown this week on CFP that was uh, people who might be at risk of getting cut, but I felt like that was a little morbid. Uh, so I yeah. <laughs> I decided to stay away from that one. We'll let it play out as it does. It is their livelihood. It is uh, the way that they make their living. They've gone through a lot. You got to keep in mind, they've been in protocols throughout training camp where they can't just go out to the grocery store. They can't go out and grab a drink. They can't go out to restaurants. They can't go shopping. It is dorm room or hotel or wherever they are to field to dorm to room to dorm to room so it's and i mean we're Strip going for wings back yeah. to the dorm. <laughs> yeah lou williams uh lemon pepper lou uh, but yeah 19 days of it as we stand right now and it's obviously it's winding down very quickly it's about to turn right over and turn the page into week one preparation uh but let's look at some of the interesting headlines of the last couple of days here and let's begin with name and roosevelt because uh this mm. one it i don't want to say it came out of left field to me but it was surprising uh, because I think we looked at that lineup and and we've been talking about it throughout this forever offseason that Montreal has themselves, Gina Lewis, we know, going to be very good. BJ Cunningham, going to be very good. Thought Naaman Roosevelt was going to play into that, right? And then Quan Bray comes back into the fold. He was pretty good for them last time we saw the Alouettes on the field. So I'm going, okay, now you factor in Jake Winicky, and now you get some other younger pieces around there. If I'm missing anybody, let me know, DT. But um, when I, I think of that group, that was kind of like the core four, five-ish, and then we'll play with some Canadians maybe here or there and because they've got a pretty good group in K on Julian Grant. I know they drafted out of St. FX and all the rest. but uh, And then you see he gets let go, and he's the really the only one of consequence from that group. And I'm like, did they just think that he didn't have enough left in the tank? Or was it a money thing, I wonder? it's It was a, a bit of a strange one to me because I thought, of all the people that signed in free agency coming out of 2019 into 2020, he was the one where I went, wow, this feels like an actual change. It's somebody mm. picking up from a team they've been with five years and going somewhere else to put down roots and get to work. And then he resigns in 2021. I'm like, well, he's up for it again. He can go wherever he wants. Oh, he has the faith. He goes back to Montreal. And then he just gets dropped in the second week of camp. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned those four guys. That's a deep receiving core, right? That's a top three in the CFL receiving core, even without Naaman. I, I love the thought of Naaman within there because he's different from those other guys, right? Like Naaman is, gosh, in the five years I've charted drops, he has the lowest drop rate of any receiver in the Canadian Football League. Like it's, it's crazy how good his hands are. His second down performance. Oh, you need 12 yards? I'm going to get you 14, maybe no yards after the catch, but I'm naming Roosevelt, and this is what I do. I thought he would blend in there perfectly, but they are super deep at American receiver. And then you see stories about, well, Reggie White Jr. this, and Rashad Ross that, and I believe Mario Alford, who has some CFL experiences there too, and you just think, okay, well, somebody – had to be the one to go and unfortunately i love naming roosevelt with all my heart you can have him when you pry him on my cold dead hand is the way i approach it people said oh he's oh he's going back to saskatchewan I'm like there's well, no room no, they they let him go for a reason right yeah. they they he's he's in montreal for a reason and part of it was saskatchewan said oh no but i mean if you are calgary and i'm going to say this for everybody if you are ottawa knock on Naaman's door and, and see what's up because I don't believe he's, I don't believe he's done by any yeah. stretch based on what we saw in 19. So here's, here's my question about this. Like I have his target chart up in front of me and Naaman Roosevelt was, I have 86 of 130, right? He had 130 attempts on the year, which I mean, still in 2019 for Fajardo to give him 130, that's a lot of work, man. So yeah. he gets 130, he catches 86. That's a 66.1% completion rate over a thousand yards. Is what I have one touchdown and two interceptions when he was targeted. But the thing that jumped out to me when I put together his chart here is that he did not have a ball completed to him uh, beyond 25 yards, except for one that, that was at 31 yards. And the target chart for him is completely void from numbers to numbers. 
like the entire middle. I'm not even talking hash okay. to hash, right? In the true middle of the field, from numbers to numbers, there was not a single attempt in the entire middle of the field. Now, I understand Kyron Moore came on and there were other bodies that were being run down there. But when I think of Naaman Roosevelt, I think about him being able to run an 18 yard in road on second and 12 and running through the middle of coverage and making a catch and sliding down and moving the chains. And again, I'm not saying that anything is wrong with him, broken with him. He's aged, he's over the hill, he's whatever. What I am saying is when I put together the target chart on Naaman from 2019, I went, what is this? Like, and, and I don't know if it was a Saskatchewan thing, if it was a Fajardo getting in, into being a starting quarterback thing where he wasn't taking the shots over the middle of the field beyond 25 yards, but he was really effective 15 yards and under. And then beyond that, it's essentially one interception, no touchdowns, and beyond 25 yards down the field, throwing to Naaman Roosevelt, they were like one of nine, essentially, at that point. So I don't know, maybe yeah. they just saw somebody in Montreal who they thought could stretch the field more, maybe someone more physical over the middle of the field. It's It might have just not been a great fit more than anything else, which would be weird after signing and then re-signing in free agency. Yeah, I'm just I'm just checking out what I would have. And there, I mean, there is a lot outside the numbers, right? Right at the boundary, four yards off the boundary. There's a couple to the couple of digs to the middle of the interesting, but yeah, it's he's not he's not going to stretch the field. The riders the riders didn't need that, right? Between Shaq Evans having his breakout season and, and Kyron Moore didn't do a ton of it, but I think Kyron had 15 deep attempts. But he's the the hitch screen guy. I, I just think Naaman is is a guy unlike other teams, and I just I love the thought of the reliability. Yeah. Whether whether it was going to, I wonder if it was going to displace B.J. Cunningham, and that was kind of one of the problems that they have, right? Um, that that boundary side should probably be. I haven't seen Montreal camp, but Geno Lewis and B.J. Cunningham. That second spot is was been Naaman's spot ever since he's been in Saskatchewan. I wonder if this allows them to get back to their natural fit of Gino, BJ, Quan uh, Bray at the three, at Winicky at the two, and then the Canadian out at the at the field wide receiver spot. Yeah, yeah. this is the best combo. So, it doesn't displace BJ. And when you talk about the the effectiveness of his hands and the safe reliability and all the rest, it makes me wonder this: Ottawa is a legitimate name of a team that we think needs to upgrade little pieces here and there and certainly adding oh, yeah. in a name in Roosevelt would be a very nice addition there and I could see him getting into a really nice chemistry with Matt Nichols and being really effective for them but my question is if he goes to Ottawa they don't have Brad Sinopoli and we know what Brad Sinopoli was he was essentially name in Roosevelt's target chart from 2019 nothing over 20 yards down the field everything in the middle of the field little digs little crossers little rub routes right not a lot deep down the sidelines if he goes to Ottawa, albeit American versus what Brad Snopley was as a Canadian and working in late in training camp and picking up Paul Lapalise's offense and it like there's a there's a mountain of challenges to going into Ottawa and just snap your fingers and hey, Naaman, Naaman Roosevelt's great. But my question is, if he goes to Ottawa, would he become Brad Sinopoli or would he try to fulfill the role that they thought that Jalen Saunders was going to play for them? And I'm not even saying he's going to be a, a starter and go in and play, but Jalen Saunders was a bit more of a vertical field side, number two slot back, taking those skinny post shots and beating man coverage when they would get, you know, man and cover zero and whatever. And he just over the top. I see him as being more of like a Sinopoli type. And, and then that makes yeah. me wonder, okay, but Coombs is there. Okay. But Peterman is there. Okay. But, and you start to realize that even in Ottawa, maybe it's not a great fit. And this is where it gets difficult. And I, I'm not saying he's not going to sign somewhere. I think he's going to. I hope he does. I think he's a really interesting, good player for the league. But I just, you start to do the math on this and it's like, okay, Calgary, what's the natural fit going across their receiving room? And I just, I don't know if there's a real true fit this late in a long camp where people are kind of going to have their minds made up about a lot of these spots. And there's a lot of good receivers in the CFL. Yeah, I, I want maybe late stage Nick Lewis. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously, let's not pretend they're the same body type, but what was, <laughs> what was Lewis before he retired, but that guy who drags across the middle and boop, here's four yards and here's four after the catch. And, oh, I got your first down. I, I, I hope there's a spot for, I just love naming so much. I hope there's a spot for him, yeah. but yeah, you, you make a real good point about anybody getting cut right now, like to get to another camp. I don't, I'm not hundred percent on what the quarantine rules are. There's apparently a little window but if you have to quarantine, you're now all of a sudden not in practice till 
you're getting ready for week number one. Yeah. This is a bad time. It's yeah, a bad yeah. Time. it is. It's a tough one for him. So we'll see where Naaman Roosevelt ends up. I expect he'll sign somewhere by the time the weekend rolls around, maybe Saturday, Sunday, somebody gives him a shot and brings him in. And again, he could be one of those, like, uh, was it Chris Matthews I'm thinking of that was Winnipeg yep. and then got shipped to Montreal and had the drop season in Montreal. And then they were like, yeah, this was a bad idea. Sorry, we're done with this. So uh, I don't, I, I'm wherever he goes, I hope he sticks, but it could be one of those. We'll see where it shakes out. Maybe, maybe Montreal trusted their eye and they really did see something that they thought somebody else had more. But uh, one that was surprising specifically for UDT was Chris Kasher. Uh, for the, the, BC, the, the BC Lions, uh, he was released from the Lions, and I'll get to my Lions piece coming up in a minute as I wave my little Canadian flags over here. Uh, but I want your thoughts on Chris Kasher and what this move says to you. I don't understand the reasoning given for it. Uh, Arash Badani was on our show, Sportsnet's finest. Hey, Kasher was given 145 grand with 50 grand up front for 2020. And he was on 65K for 2021, according to Arash. And I look at that and go, well, that's the minimum salary. And there was $0 up front. And this guy was 11th in the league by my count in quarterback pressure, seventh among defensive ends. And oh, by the way, he had 10 sacks by our tracking in, in 2019. Oh, and he's 27 years old. So BC then says, oh, we, we want to get younger. From a guy who was an impact player at 25 and is now 27? He's not 37. Chris Kasher is 27. And he balled in Calgary in 2019. I, I had you had we been doing a thing last week where like, hey, let's predict who's going to get cut, like you were joking. And you said Chris Kasher, I just wouldn't have listened. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand if it's Kasher or J.R. Tavai, who is the other defensive in there. I don't know what's happening. The Kasher is gone and Tavai is still there. I I just saw a guy in Calgary who had a real, real nice impact working opposite. And, and I mean, statistically outperforming Cordero Law, who I understand had injuries and such. But Kasher was the real deal. I thought that was an impact move for BC. And to see him cut today, a couple of days ahead of you know required cutdown day, which is essentially we're letting a guy go so we can get someone else on from quarantine or the suspended list or whatever, I don't get it with the information we have publicly right now because that dude is good. Yeah, um, and, and this is the the thing that I find to be intriguing about this cut. When you talk about getting a little bit younger, as it was said, is that, yeah, if it's not money-related, it has to basically be performance. Well, we just talked about Naaman Roosevelt and the fact that there might be some younger players that are stepping up and forcing him kind of out the door because they just think that there's more upside of, of giving somebody else real live game reps. Is there a potential that the BC Lions have looked at a 27-year-old with known production and said, we have a 24, 23-year-old that we think can give us more production down the road? I don't know who that person is in-house. This is the crapshoot that we're in right now with all of these names coming in from the States. And you know, you've got so many Americans that are trying to fight for so few roster spots because you think about the returning players from the team you had that were Americans. You're dressing 20 of them this year. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's one global, two quarterbacks, 20 Canadians, 20 Americans. That's who's on your dress roster, right? It's a 44, 43 man dress roster, depending on what you want to do with some flexibility there. But the idea of having those 20 American spots and dedicating one of them to something that is an unknown in game, because you think it has a bigger upside than something that is not old, as you say, in Chris Kasher and still has produced. Yeah. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see when their depth chart comes out by the time that we hit week one against Saskatchewan next week and get to find out, okay, who's there? And then once we hit the actual game that you're calling in Ryderville, who is really there? Like, who, who would they actually see that they think is worthy of, here's your helmet, here's your game jersey, that guy that was pretty good in Calgary, we kicked him out the door, this is yours, go to work. I, I really am going to have a close eye on that week number one. Well, and you mentioned the guys, if they are getting younger, the guys they'd be replacing when I, I looked at this before when you and I were talking on the show, Tim Bonner is 25 and Dana Levine Jr. is 24. 25 year old who has zero track record or 24 year old versus a 27 year old. Like do, do any 10 sack 25 year old, 27 year olds in the NFL. Let's do it relative to the NFL. 
20, 20, 10 sack, 24 year olds get punted for a 21 year old <laughs> in the NFL. No, that sounds nuts. Yeah. Uh, so I just, I wonder if there's, there's more as we peel this onion of why Chris Casher is released, because I, I can think off top of my head of four teams that, that need a Chris Casher level of impact at defensive end right now. Give me your, uh, your power ranking. Let's go from the bottom up at number four DT's most likely team to get Chris Casher is uh, Montreal Alouettes. Uh, and I think the Casher usher duo does this deserving of a nickname. That'd be, that'd be <laughs> a, amazing. Okay. Ottawa's number four. Ottawa needs everybody. I said that before I'd say that <laughs> Ottawa is the number four and he needs Casher power rankings. Okay. Yes. Very good. Uh, I also think Montreal is interesting because of Almondo Sewell, right? Like having him mm-hmm. working alongside Cashers. Like I, I like them as a tandem on the side, just the same way I do with Ted Laurent, Jaguar Davis, or, Having, uh, you know, Steven Richardson alongside Willie Jefferson or Jackson Jeffcoat. I mean, you got to have somebody who can eat up some bodies inside and get a push. Amando Seawall does that pretty well and have Casher flying off the edge of Montreal. Yeah, that's that's a good match. Ottawa, Montreal, Saskatchewan. I got a text about five minutes like, hey, is Saskatchewan called them? Yes, they should. They absolutely should. Because Tim Williams, we mentioned Achilles injury. You're going with uh, Pete Robertson or Keon Adams, two guys with NFL experience, but are fresh to the CFL. Especially if it was making the minimum, and then and then go back to Calgary. Calgary, Polaro and Rimalade. Plus, I have no idea who Uh, Chris Catcher would be good back and could play back in Calgary again. Behind the scenes stuff, blah blah blah. Calgary needs help at defensive end as well. So four teams immediately that should be on the phone to Chris Catcher's agent. I got a feeling he stays in the West. I got a feeling that it's it's a Calgary or a Saskatchewan. I agree with you. What was the name of sorry of the uh, of the other defensive end there on the day that Larry Dean tore up his Achilles that also had the Achilles injury? Freddie Bishop. Yeah, Freddie. But like for me, if it's if you go down Tim Williams and you go down Freddie Bishop, why would you not call Chris Cash like that? It makes too much sense, even for armchair GMs like us. The minimum salary, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. He was making the minimum, according to Arash Madani, for 10 sacks, officially seven, but 10 sacks. Yeah. That is, uh, what? name me a better bargain than that in the Canadian Football League. Yeah. If, no, it's, uh, if it's, everything is, yeah, if everything's clean under the surface, do it now. Yes. Uh, my other little note here that I want to give you is on Nathan Rourke. Just good job, Nathan. Just, I'm just happy. Uh, I was happy. I, I, not that I dislike Will Arndt. I think that he's uh, a stand-up young man. I saw a piece that was done on him, I believe by CTV out there in Vancouver about the fact that he is from Newtown, Connecticut. And obviously we know the story of Sandy Hook and everything that uh, his, he's gone through. Mature guy, tall, lots of arm potential, all the rest. But I wasn't super impressed. Just straight up from a football side, forget about the person when he was in Ottawa, but at the same time, Ottawa was just such a hot mess that I, I feel like that yeah. was probably a bad environment for him to get his, his footing. And then he goes to BC and I was actually kind of surprised in free agency when I saw that BC had signed him up and I'm like, okay, Rick Campbell must see something in him throughout practice and think that he's a developmental guy. And this is what's great about CFL training camps when it comes to quarterback stuff is right now you've got Nick Arbuckle and McLeod Bethel Thompson, Antonio Pipkin in Toronto. And you've got Dane Evans, Jeremiah Masoli doing their thing in Hamilton. And in Calgary, we've got Dakota Prukop and Jake Meyer going at it with Michael O'Connor. And in BC, we had such an interesting combination, right? And I know in Saskatchewan too, whether you got, you know, Flacco and Paxton Lynch and all the rest, but how's Harker doing, by the way? How's my boy, Isaac Harker? Looks good. Looks good. good. Absolutely. Number two. Love it. Um, All right. Sorry, Paxton Lynch. Uh, but then I look at all those articles that were written about Paxton Lynch. Damn, got to burn them all. Uh, but I look at, at BC and it was such a fun combo because it was Shea Patterson, who has gone from star of Ole Miss going to be star of Ole Miss to star of Michigan to oops, Harbaugh's Michigan team suck to BC lions to, eh. and you get Nathan Rourke, who is born in Victoria by way of Oakville, Holy Trinity high school goes to Ohio makes a name for himself. Everybody should be proud of what this dude has accomplished, goes into camp, falls out, earns the spot. And then Will Arndt gets the shot, gets his opportunity to develop, stay on the roster, all the rest, doesn't end up landing. Uh, and it's, it's, it's so great. The Nathan Rourke, and I know I'm waving the flag on this one because I always do when it comes to Canadian quarterbacks, and I do that unabashedly, but that was real competition. Like, I'm not that Will Arndt is the most impressive guy in the world, but to beat out, somebody that the coach has interest in as a developmental quarterback and brings in for that purpose. 
And then to beat out a guy from the NCAA who super highly thought of, like if you were to put them in a combine setting and say Shea Patterson alongside Nathan Rourke three, four years ago, yeah. it would have been Shea Patterson, right? Like, and this is the beauty of the CFL is that Nathan Rourke is not being favored for being a Canadian quarterback. He is earning the job because he is the better player on the field in their opinion right now. Um, and I love that he is so mature, so under control, has such a, a great skill set. And you know what makes me really happy about this, honestly? Michael Riley is the consummate professional. Like, yeah, he likes to have fun and all the rest, but like you listen to Michael Riley talk, the way he carries himself and the way that he approaches his teammates and leading a huddle. And like some of this stuff, I think we build up as the mystique, right? Of the Michael Riley and the grizzled beer and the iron mic and the stuff. But I really, when you watch the way that he operates on the sidelines, he just has this aura about him that is leadership. And I'm so excited that Nathan Rourke gets to stand in the wake of that aura and let yeah. it just seep into him. Because you have any idea how much better that guy is going to get as a quarterback if he can pick up 10% of what Michael Riley has had throughout his career in terms of being able to walk into a room and demand respect. Now, you got to do it with your play, obviously. And he's got to get an opportunity to play to prove that he can really do it in the CFL. But man, I was so happy when I heard that because it's the it's the perfect learning opportunity. So I'm just pumped for him. And I think that it's good for everybody that loves the CFL to see a Canadian quarterback get that chance. Yeah, I, I was I was shocked because uh, Ken Will would would have history. This is my concern, and I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but if you have a Debbie Downer sound effect, this is the time for it. Um, I have a loser game love... show sound uh, that I can give you here. Let me bum, see. Bum, 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 uh, I think I have a Price is Wrong. Here we go. Yeah, this might be the right one for you. We love running quarterbacks in the Canadian Football League. Shout out Rakeem Cato. He was a, a superhero for a few weeks in 2015. We love running quarterbacks in the CFL. We love Canadian quarterbacks in the CFL. Shout out Brandon Bridge. People held on to Brandon Bridge for way longer than his passing accuracy suggested that we should. I am afraid that in Nathan Rourke, we're, we're now putting this baking powder and vinegar of things we love together. And it's going to explode uh, way more than, than it should. Uh, three years in Ohio, 39 games played. Nathan Rourke completed 58.7% of his passes. And I have no advanced. This is just off a uh, college reference. Uh, I have no advanced numbers past that. So I don't know about passing accuracy and depth of target time, number of times under pressure and la la la. The leader in, in completion percentage in college football last year was at 77%. Mac Jones, shout out New England Patriots. Uh, Rourke was 61, a career high for him. When I see a completion percentage that low, I wonder about his arm and I wonder a lot about his arm. Uh, I can't wait to see it when we get to see it. But just on that, I have real concerns that we've got 10% better Jordan Lynch in front of us, a guy who Edmonton did not let throw the ball in the Canadian Football League. I, I just, I, I want him to get a shot. I just don't know. I don't know what Nathan Rourke is. Yeah, which is uh, fair. I, I don't, I don't think me. any, I don't think anybody does. But I also think that it's okay to allow him to develop in the CFL as a passer, right? And I, I hope that's what they're yep. doing right now is seeing what he can do. And I, I don't think they would have kept him and cut Will Arndt or kept him and declared him the number two if they thought he was just a guy running around for his life, right? Like, I, I don't think this is going to be a Manziel, don't know how to read any defenses, can't get through progressions, I'm just going to run type of thing. So I, I totally understand where you're saying, hey, here's the numbers, I don't know enough. And I honestly, <laughs> when people say, I don't know, in this age, I appreciate yeah. it so much. Like the opinion of, I don't know, I haven't seen enough because we all rush to judgment on people that we haven't seen nearly enough of or we don't understand what they're about. My thinking is that they had to have seen enough from his arm in order to keep him. And I would also say as well, in terms of, you know, our, our advanced numbers that you and I both love pro football focus had him, whatever you respect in terms of their player grades, he was the highest graded quarterback, I believe through the majority of 2019 or 2020, when it came to their player grades in terms of hitting their marks and progressions and all that kind of stuff. So 
he graded out well despite the completion percentage difficulties, and that gives me hope that his process was good and the end result yeah. wasn't, would be my hope. And again, I'm with you. I've watched not nearly as much on him as I would have liked to, honestly, if I you know was digging into stuff really thoroughly with him going into the draft. But I, I'm very hopeful that he gets a chance to learn and develop and that we get to see not necessarily a star develop, but a really, really solid player because I think he can be better than Andrew Buckley. And I certainly think he can be better than Brandon Fridge. And, and Buckley was good. Like yeah. Buckley, Buckley was pretty good. Yeah, I, I just hope, and it's it's going to happen, but the media is going to blow this out of proportion. Yes. Absolutely. And and I feel a little bit for, for Nathan Rourke in that. Uh, as we've been talking, I figure... You know what? If BC loses Mike Riley to injury, no matter who is there, they're done. Like they have a 6% chance to win the Grey Cup. Without Riley, it's zero, whether it's Will Arndt or or Nathan Rourke. So why not let it be Nathan Rourke? Like I love, I am fully on board with let's get Canadians at skill positions. If Edmonton wants to run two Canadians at defensive end this year, have at it. It may not be the best thing for you, but I love guys getting an opportunity. If Winnipeg wants to go four deep on Canadian running backs, bring it on, Bombers. So you know what? Uh, ultimately, yeah, you're not you're not much love to Will Arndt. You're not losing much by giving up Will Arndt, as we've discussed. So why not let it be Nathan Rourke and let's go for it? Let's imagine do it. Uh, imagine the roster benefit. You get Riley with a rolled angle or something, and in 2021, Nathan Rourke becomes what Dane Evans was in 2019. Like, imagine he comes in, it's like nine and two, and he's throwing it up and down the field and getting through his progressions and controlling the offense, and that would just be amazing. But not that we want Michael Riley to get hurt in any way, shape, or form, which is always the difficult conversation. Yeah. It's like, it's funny with, with quarterbacks with me because I always want to see three guys from every team play, and then I'm like, there's one job. There's only one. That's what makes it special is there's one job for those guys to have. But uh, let's round out the pod this week, DT, talking about the trader, the trader oh, out, this in is Al- brutal. out in Calvin. Alberta. Uh, Calvin McCarty signs on after the Achilles tear there for Charlie Power, which I feel for Charlie because I actually did my rookie skit with him in 2013 in Calgary, which was he was the catalyst of all of our uh, our rookie skits, which, by the way, another guy that was in that rookie camp. Uh, Brett Jones just signed on with the Denver Broncos as an offensive lineman. So congratulations to Brett. Uh, he sang Wagon Wheel in his uh, rookie skit, and the team absolutely loved him for it, and he crushed it. Uh, so I just want to give you Rock that little... Rock me mama like a yeah. wagon wheel from oh, Brett yeah. Jones? Yeah, it was... Oh, and he, like, got fully into it and was, like, fully swinging the arms and singing as loud as he possibly could. He's very, very good as a showman and a funny, funny dude as well. But uh, anyways, stuff you only find out here on CFE. Brett Jones sang (laughs) Wagon Wheel during his rookie skit. Uh, But yeah, Charlie Power, very good player, veteran player as well. Um, They still have William Longley in house there, do they not, in Calgary? So I feel like he's still there. There's so many names that have moved around. Ante Leader is is obviously there. He had that. And, and uh, can we just take a second to chide Danny Austin for scaring us by saying a couple <laughs> weeks ago that he thinks Ante Leader cut his hair? That was proven not the case today. Leader still has the flow. So, Danny. It <laughs> uh, was a, a man bun situation, I think, is what we had going on there, that he was uh, yeah. hiding under the hat. But uh, So you end up having a fullback position that they have some names in-house and some possibilities, but anytime that you can get a veteran presence in that huddle, they want it. And I thought a really interesting quote from Dave Dickinson earlier this week was he said, we just don't have enough leadership in that huddle right now. And you start to look at the the names that are in there, whether it be Huff, Ambles, um, you know, obviously when Bo Levi's in there, it improves a lot, but Bo hasn't practiced a whole lot throughout training camp. So now they've got inexperienced quarterbacks coming in and Jake Meyer, Dakota Prukop, Michael O'Connor. You got young receivers. You got Herjie Mayala going into his second season, Colton Hunchak in his second season. I mean, it's, it makes a lot of sense because on the offensive line, Sean McEwen's not a raw, raw guy, hell of a football player, but he's not going mm-hmm. to, to stick his neck out and vocally get after guys from everything that I've heard about him. So they are looking for a bit of a veteran presence there. And Calvin McCarty walks into that huddle and immediately has respect. And I think that is as much part of this deal as the actual on-field impact. The guy knows his stuff inside and out, and he'll pick up that offense in a minute. But I, it was pretty amazing to see that headline come across the timeline, wasn't it? Where when you parse it out afterwards, you go, oh, yeah, okay, this actually does make a lot of sense. But beforehand, you go, whoa, man, I did not see that one coming. Well, what is it, 13 years in Edmonton? And then yeah. you, you go down the Highway 2 to Calgary? That just... 
Something about that just feels like how weird is the Labor Day game going to be? <laughs> Seeing him in the in the red with the the looking like a popcorn box stripes taking on the the Elks. Come on, that's that's great. I I love Cal McCarty for one reason because once every two years or so he shows us that he has the absolute best hands in the CFL. He's yeah. Oh, I'm running a little flat pattern. Oh, the ball's in the wrong spot. I'm going to one hand it with my inside hand instead of the lead hand. Uh, he's just, he's, it's crazy. And then to hear the stories of him when he was a younger athlete, you know, ah, this guy is fantastic and you are a national treasure, but now you're a traitor to the Edmonton. <laughs> it's business. It's good to have him back, but it's going to be weird on Labor Day. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you on that. Which, by the way, speaking of running backs with weird hands, William Powell, I've rewatched the 2019 West Final against Winnipeg, yeah. I want to say three or four times, just because I enjoy listening to the s- soft tones of Chris Cuthbert calling a football game in a big moment perfectly. Uh, and so I have I've watched that game back a bunch of times in the offseason, and the like little skinny corner route that William Powell basket catches along the rider's sideline and slides out of bounds. I have no idea how he caught that. It was so awkward and so strange <laughs> and he pulled it in and it was such a great explosive play that Saskatchewan dearly needed in that moment as Cody Fajardo's obliques were about to rip off his body. Yeah. I'm big, big William Powell fan. And there's a guy who bounced back from Achilles injury at the age of good point? What was yes. he twenty eight when he had it? Oh, he was sixteen. He's now thirty three. So yeah, at the age of twenty eight uh, and three thousand yard seasons, and man, he looks just fine in in Ryder Camp so far. He's he's a good one. He's not the Andrew Harris level of catcher and targets out of the backfield or the twenty seventeen James Wilder level, but uh, William, there's not much that guy can't do on the field. And he'll get some love from Jason Moss, I'm guessing, just like C.J. Gable did in the passing game as well with Edmonton uh, in 2019. So uh, we will see where he goes with all of that. DT, let people know where they can find your work throughout the rest of the week. At DT on SC on the old Twitter box. Uh, at 620 CKRM is where we have the sports cage Monday to Friday from 4 to 6.30 Saskatchewan time. And perhaps tumbling to coming to a gambling content company Hey-o. near you yeah, keep your eyes and ears peeled for that as uh, we get closer and closer to the season next week when we are here we will be taping a week one preview uh we will be breaking down week number one across the canadian football league it's going to be a lot of fun again at dt on sc i'm at tsn underscore marsh that's right my twitter handle finally makes sense again as derek pointed out when i joined him on the sports cage earlier today which uh yeah, i mean it was a long play i had a lot of people wondering what the hell i was doing for the last uh, eight months but eh, keep quiet on some stuff and see where it goes and uh and yeah we're looking forward to bringing you more and more cfl discussion as we get closer and closer to the start of 2021 for now thank you for tuning in as always we do appreciate it at cfp is where you can find a cf perspective of course on twitter and instagram coming up for you on thursday we got all canadian with wade and connor holding it down then myself and kyle Mello as well coming up on friday we will talk to you later thanks for tuning in and enjoy the rest of your week the last week without cfl football